Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. Today on When Autumn Comes, you are going to be meeting Angela. Angela is a mom who kind of lived a secret life for a couple years into parenthood. She actually didn't even tell her closest friends and family that both of her children have autism. Today on the episode, she talks to us about how she has gone through the stages of grief and processing all of the plot twists that her life has had that she didn't expect to happen. She tells us about how she felt years ago and how she feels today. And I have to say, she is one of Diane's friends in real life, but I really am so proud of Angela. For her to open up, and by the end of the interview, she was glowing. She was so happy to be sharing her children with the world, which, duh, most of us are, but you have to understand, Angela wasn't at this place a couple years ago. So Angela, thank you so much for being part of the When Autumn Comes family. We are so glad that you shared your kids with us today. Well, today we are welcoming Angela to the podcast. Hi, Angela. Hi, Di. We're so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. I honestly can't put into words how pumped I am to talk with you guys about not only my awesome kids and my family, but just kind of everything I've gone through on this whole special needs journey, which is nowhere near complete. It's just starting. Well, it's just starting. It's never going to be ending. But I don't think it um, ever completes. I think it's something that, I mean, we've talked to moms in all different phases who have bitty babies, whose kids passed years ago, and it never completes. It it's just us now. And to not be repetitive, but seriously, like it's a club you'd never sign up to be in. But once you're in it, you kind of have this gratitude of wow, like here I am and today was a decent day and look at all these people I get to connect with. So it's pretty fun. Yes. Um, so you have, you are married and you have two kids. Tell us a little bit about your family. Yes. So my husband, Anton and I have two beautiful children. My oldest is Luke and he's five years old and my youngest is Avery and she is four years old. They are a whopping 13.75 months apart. (laughs) (laughs) So some, you know, kind of Irish twins as some people call it, but we wanted to grow our family, but we had no idea we'd be so fortunate to do it so quickly. So that's amazing. That is amazing. (laughs) Like, are you, I mean, 
diaper wise, like the amount of diapers that you... So thankfully, both of my kids were potty trained at three. Of course, my son was harder to train, but there were a good couple years where they were both in diapers at the same time. And as soon as we got them, you know, off formula and onto regular milk, we were like, oh my gosh, we have so much money now. (laughs) And then when we got them off of diapers and to actually be potty trained, we were like, what do we do? It's <laughs> so amazing. Much. Let's go to yeah. Vegas. <laughs> Can we just say though, aside from the money, I have two kids that will be on diapers forever. There's so much poop and yes. so much stuff. And, and like, like, it's constant. Like we go through the diaper genie rings faster than I, I it's mind blowing that. And so I use thought- the diaper genie anymore. No, I thought I was the only one that had to go through multiple diaper genies too because they (laughs) just started to not work. Let's say they just stop not yeah they stop working after a certain amount of time and it's like come on I'm gonna be like you need to buck up bud this is gonna be a long job for you (laughs) a plastic better hold up yeah and it was tough I mean um, so. Being that both my kids are on the spectrum, things took longer to get to these milestones or as Diane calls them, inch stones, which I totally love because I'll freak out about something that's so great that everyone else is like, hey, yeah, what's the big deal? So, yeah, I mean, we couldn't potty train him on our own. We brought in therapists to help us um, just because... Yeah, so it was just something... There's so much with autism that you feel like as a parent, you can't do it alone. And... I mean, neurotypical or autistic children, sometimes I think your kids just listen better to other people too sometimes. Oh, so. yeah. You're the mom. They don't listen right. to mom. Sayla yeah, just yells at me all day and I'm like, stop <laughs> screaming at me. And everyone's like, she's great for me. Okay, so let's back up. So you, both of your children, 13.75 mm-hmm. months apart, yes. are on the spectrum. Correct. They're both on the autism spectrum disorder. So just a little kind of peek in into what that really means is autism or autism spectrum disorder is referred to as ASD. A lot of times when you read about it online, it refers to a range of conditions really characterized by challenges with social skills, repetitive behavior, uh, speech delay, and for some people, completely nonverbal. So it's different. And I, it's funny, when I was researching about it, when we first got the diagnosis codes, they were all saying hand flapping. Well, that's funny because that's something my kids have never done. So they call it a spectrum because no two people on this spectrum are really the same. And just having two kids, I mean, autism or not, they're totally different people. And their autism is totally different, too. So that's really eye-opening for me because when you get a diagnosis based on all the medical shows I watch, which I need to stop doing, (laughs) I think that, you know, if they have a condition, it's going to be the same, but it's so different um, with each of my kids. Well, I totally see that in Susan's kids. You know, they have FBXL4, exact same type of mitochondrial disease, and they're completely different. So I want to get, I have a question about that, but I want to be completely transparent that I know nothing about ASD and I was so intrigued by having this conversation because there is so many things as Sayla gets older and has quirks and, um, you know, she is like a wrist roller. She sits and rolls her wrists all day and it was adorable when she was little Mm -hmm. and now it's not getting to be adorable anymore. It's causing people to look at her more. And so I feel like I'm that mom that 
says, how do you, how do you want me to approach your child? What is, what are they doing when they do X, Y, Z? How can I learn about your children specifically? Cause I'm assuming because it's a spectrum, we can't pinpoint everyone's tendencies and what that exactly means. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So that behavior you referred to as with her arms kind of twisting like that, uh, in the autism community, they refer to that as stimming. And it's a way for them to decompress and kind of handle all of the overstimulation that's happening to them by doing some repetitive behavior that calms them. Um, sometimes they'll be on the couch and they'll be just rocking back and forth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, that looks so funny. But to them, they're laughing, they're smiling. Are they, when they synced up when they're rocking? <laughs> like, is it like they're rowing um, a boat together? <laughs> sometimes my husband and I will try to sync up with them and we all laugh. Like, <laughs> but my son also has, um, he's very verbal now, thankfully. It was a long road to get here. But he'll say, you know, full sentences, probably not as much as a neurotypical five-year-old would, but he talks, you know, like, I want to go to McDonald's or I, you know, I don't have to go to the bathroom. I just want to go to bed. Like, he'll talk like that. So a lot of his stimming comes from verbalizing. So, you know, when I'm, trying to put on my stern mom hat and I'm like, okay, you know, don't hit your sister. You're going to go in timeout. He'll be like, no, I don't want to go in timeout. And where a neurotypical child may say it one, two, maybe five times, he might say it upwards of 20, 30. Sometimes we've had to be like, okay, I understand. And I've tried to like reach out, pet his back, super comfort him. Um, it's almost like he has anxiety and ADHD, He's too young to diagnose that, but um, all at the same time, because he will stim verbally and say 20, 30, 50 times, I don't want to go in timeout. I don't want to do this. And so I have to just keep reassuring him. Um, and is he looking for a response from that? I don't think so. I think it's like, calm yeah, I think down. that's yeah. just for him, honestly, because we've, we've acknowledged it probably the first 20 times. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we're just like, okay, he's going to let go in about 30 minutes. So sometimes it'll happen over and over again. Um, but I think, yeah, what you guys said that it really is for him. And is your daughter nonverbal? So she's getting to be verbal, which we're super pumped about because she didn't at first, when she was first diagnosed, she was nonverbal, like had like two words. Um, for the record, she was talking at like nine months, super early. She would say like more. And so I was like, oh my gosh. And and she slept more than my son did. Oh my God, don't get me started on the sleep schedule with my son. <laughs> well, I was welcome. Every before I <laughs> yeah, he would get up every hour during the night. And I was like, this is like torture. Like what they do at Guantanamo Bay. Like I can't handle this. But she slept great. She was starting words. And then at two she just lost all of her words, like refused to speak at all. And it was like, she can talk. We've heard her talk. We're like, why don't you? And we incentivized her. I mean, we tried everything with therapist. And then um, the, and the therapist I'm referring to with both of my children is ABA. They're in that applied behavioral analysis training, which I know there's a lot of mixed feelings out there for people. But if you find the right therapist in the therapy company, ABA is amazing my personal belief. It's got my son to go from two, three words that he'd say to full sentences. And my daughter, who was at zero words, now talks in two. Last week, I heard her say three words when she really wants something. She'll say three words together. So that's huge. 
Her stimming is a little bit more of what I classify typical autism. She doesn't hand flap, um, but sometimes she'll, you know, use words that aren't words and just say them over and over again. Um, Sometimes she like will look out the corner of her eyes at something. And I know that's very typical of the ASD children as well. So to me, she presents with a little bit more classic autism um, just because of her extreme limited language. But um, they're, you know, at the end of the day, they're both just really normal kids. My son is going to grow up and probably be some form of engineer because he builds with blocks like I couldn't even do at 36 right now. (laughs) He's great at that. And my daughter is a we're going to get her into equestrian therapy because she has this obsession with horses. So oh I can't, my gosh. yeah, so like she tries to ride our dog around the living room <laughs> <laughs> and he lets her. He's great. Selah <laughs> loves horse therapy. It is, and she's been doing it for a couple of years. So I'm super hopeful for you guys because they just, it, there's something about horses that just is so calming and they can get this connection, you know, it's yeah. really cool. That's really exciting to hear. So, yeah, I mean, even if it comes down to me just finding someone who has a gentle horse, I'm like, I'll pay him. I just yeah. want my daughter to get saddled up and pet a horse because mm-hmm. we were wondering if she met a horse in real life, would she be like, whoa, this is scary or, oh, this is awesome. Do they yeah. have pony parties in Minnesota? Like backyard sure. pony parties? I'm we sure. paid um, like 200 bucks to have a backyard pony party and they brought ponies, bunnies. We had a llama. We had... An alpaca. Are you still no. cleaning up poop out of your backyard? No, they cleaned it up before they left. Oh, um, that's but the because we sure. have a fenced-in backyard, they just let the pony do its thing, and like it's across eating our garden and stuff. But <laughs> but that was so cool because my kids can't be around a lot of germs, and you know we never know how they're going to react and respond in public settings. So we had a pony party come to our backyard and. They loved it. They could touch the animals. They could move away from the animals. They could do what they want. But the animals just, I asked the lady, I was like, Does, have any other parents had a pony party for just their two kids? And she's like, no, but this is great. <laughs> so <laughs> I highly recommend backyard pony parties if it's an option for you. Yeah, my kids would totally love that. I, I would kind of love it too. But like, <laughs> Angela like, has just a gaggle of bunnies in her arms. Oh my gosh. <laughs> a like, little goat cat? follows you everywhere. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, I love that. We have a half acre yard in our back. So that would be awesome. I feel I like with my husband, I'm like, we're going to have to buy her a horse. You know this, right? Like yeah. it's coming. We're going to be the only one in like Savage with a horse in the neighborhood. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. So you had told us that you felt like this was going to be kind of a part of your grief journey, Mm -hmm. um, going through the stages, just doing the podcast. Can you tell us kind of a, a little bit about that, but B what triggered it? You talked a little bit about, um, the Holland poem. Yes. So you've read that too. Good. I'm not oh, we, we actually have it in a frame in St. Louis oh. room. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love it. So yeah, after receiving the diagnosis for both children, in that moment, I knew my life would never be the same, but I had, 
young Angie had no idea what was that actually going to look like for a path forward for us. Cause you know, I got married, I met the guy, we had our first child six months later. And then, you know, six months later I got pregnant again. So we had this whole vision planned out and I was raised in a strict Catholic family. So I always just thought, you know, kids who might be on the spectrum might not have been, you know, disciplined enough. Um, And I just thought there were so many different things and I was kind of judgy. But then when I started going into this journey myself, it really opened up my eyes and my whole perspective on autism to be like, this is, this is nothing like I thought it was. I learned so much along the way about the diagnosis itself and just how children are so different and they, they process that. And along the way, selfishly, I learned how I would process that change too. And the best analogy I can give it to anyone is, you know, you, you process the grief of the life you thought you were going to live. It's not necessarily the diagnosis so much, but letting go of what the life I had planned for myself and what I was going to go forward to. When your kids get diagnosed at two or three, it's really hard because no one wants to give you concrete answers like, will they live alone on their own? Will they do this? And so you have to kind of figure all of that out and be patient as you go through the journey. And I'm not the most patient person. So that was hard for me to process too. So yeah, the I kind of relate it to the different stages of grief, if you will, that I was grieving this loss of this life I had pictured for myself forever. Um, the first phase is, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then finally acceptance. So for me, Denial came in the form of clinging to the idea that they only had a speech delay. However, as I uh, they began talking and their behaviors continued, it was apparent that it wasn't just a speech delay. My son has really had some very self-injurious behaviors where if he has a meltdown, which is different than a temper tantrum, he'll get so mad that he'll actually headbang and hit his head in the wall. And we have a couple spots in our house where we've yet to repair the the drywall where he's actually put his head through the wall. Um, upon doing this the first time, I naturally freaked out, brought him to a neurologist, and the neurologist was like, nope, they can't really hurt themselves. And I'm like, have you seen our wall? I brought pictures <laughs> to show them. And I'm like, yeah, this this has to be you know, painful. And he's like, well, we could put him in a helmet. And I'm like, I, I want to know what to do to stop this so that my, you know, at the time, three-year-old doesn't have to wear a helmet. Um, and he was not really a help in that. So that's where I turned to ABA and they really helped lead the charge with that. And I have to say within probably six to nine months of it, he stopped headbanging altogether. So wow. our, we haven't had any new damage to our walls or any really detrimental behaviors from him in quite a while. So, um, can I ask a really ignorant question? Sure. ABA therapy is going mm-hmm. off topic. We'll get back to the grief stages, but, um, sure. when you think about an ABA therapist, like physical therapy, they work with, you know, muscles, bones, body structure, large motor, ABA therapists, are they trained to look at the world differently as your children would? Or is it more of a physical, um, we're going to do hand over hand, we're going to do, I mean, what does an ABA therapist do? Both, really. Um, They work with the child. They specialize in autism spectrum disorder. They work on a team. So it's not the same therapist necessarily every day. There's like a, a team leader that they work with and they come up with 
for lack of a better word, just care plans for your child to help address certain behavior solutions. So like for the head banging, what they would do is he was doing it, I guess, for attention, we later found out. So they would put their hand, you know, in between his head and the wall to prevent him from actually hurting himself or causing any damage. And they'd look away. So to me, it's almost like, you know, good old fashioned discipline with therapeutic elements that you don't know as a parent to necessarily or instinctually do because uh, that your kids are doing, you know, these self injurious behaviors that as a mom, I'm like, stop. No, I mean, immediate reaction was to go kiss him and hug him. And that's not always what a child on the spectrum wants. My son's not always big on hugging or kissing, uh, but my daughter is like thrilled. She just comes and sits in my lap and asks to be tickled. So it's very different. That's so, yeah. Yeah, ABA is just, it's it's like speech, OT, PT, all into one with almost like tutoring. They taught him like how to write his name. They taught him, they helped us with potty training. I mean, it's it's really helping your child adapt to the world around them. So very helpful. Wow, cool. Sorry. And necess- no, a very necessary part of our journey. I mean, we would not be where we are now without them. So, so what phase of grief are you in right now? I like to think I'm in acceptance that I've passed go and collected my $200, but I will say there are times I slide back. You know, I I don't think it's ever really done. Like we talked earlier about how it's a lifelong journey, but now I feel that I've seen the acceptance part. Um, Talking with you guys, this is something I never could have done two years ago. I was so reclused into my own self that even my closest friends didn't know my kids were on the spectrum. You know, I'd go visit them somewhere. I didn't always have people come over. Um, my own anxiety and fear of that really pre- prevented me from bringing my kids out into the community. So doing this is like me getting that ultimate acceptance. I feel like just talking with you guys and hopefully some mom out there that might be questioning herself or just receiving the diagnosis just to let her know that you'll get through it or him if it's a dad to let them know that they can get through it and just to be patient. How did your friends respond when you started telling people? So different reactions from different people, right? Um, I had one friend who she's an amazing person on inside and out and just wonderful, but um, it's some people are still at denial. They still say, oh, no, it's just a speech delay. Your children are fine. Don't worry about it. And now that I've passed that denial phase and anger and everything else, I see that as they're just trying to comfort me. They're just trying to reassure me that everything will be okay. But when you hear that and you haven't reached acceptance yet, it's hard and you feel like they're not seeing you and not seeing your struggle. Do you also feel like they they when they say stuff like that they don't see the beauty in your children? No, I now I see it as they're just, you know, they're like no, they're fine. They're going to get past this. Um selfishly my children are beautiful. So parent <laughs> to everyone. Um but yeah, and then I had other friends who didn't know that, you know, just because they're autistic doesn't mean they can't hear and process and understand everything going on. You know, I could be in the other room with my husband watching a movie where there's swearing going on, which we totally thought was okay because they're not looking at us. They're in a different room. 
boy, were we wrong. And the next day, my son <laughs> went to preschool and he's at a, at the time it was a Lutheran preschool and he's saying, you know, um, GD it, you know, all the time. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh my gosh, you cannot say that at a religious preschool. <laughs> They're going to think we say this all the time. And it was like one movie choice we chose, which is a battle I'm sure neurotypical children face with their parents as well. So but then mm-hmm. he repeats it 42 times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when, when that happened, I was like, oh, blank. <laughs> so what I found the best methodology for that is just to ignore it. And when he says it 50 times, just don't pay any attention to it. So it doesn't get that rise out of me. Like any little boy who's just trying to poke me and get an, a reaction out of me. They're so, so good I, at that. I just don't, right? It brings me back to when I was in like kindergarten and first grade and boys did that to me. I just don't give them any, any, I don't focus on that. Can you speak a little bit to, you had said yesterday when we talked earlier that you were embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I bring that up is to not make you feel bad, but I know that there are likely a lot of people that feel that same feeling. Yeah. I came from a big, huge Catholic family. So everyone in my family has had very neurotypical children. All of my friends have. I Before I listen to your first podcast, Di, you're the first person that I've met really who's in a, a situation that's you know, having a special needs child. So when I heard your first podcast, you know, tears ran down my face. I'm like, I have to be a part of this. I read that. Um, But I didn't know anyone else that had special needs. And so I felt like people would look at me like I did something wrong. Oh, she must have ate too much fish when she was pregnant. No, <laughs> I was like the most I don't even like fish. <laughs> right. I was like, okay, I had crab one time in nine months. And that was it. I was the, you know, stereotypical first-time mom that looked up every ingredient before I ever put it in my mouth. Um, so I was thinking people would blame me. Um, so it was hard to to really come out and tell people, yes, both of my kids have autism because I was afraid of how they would judge me or react to it. Very sensitive. And if someone said the harsh or unkind thing, I honestly didn't know how I'd react. I'm a big mama bear and I'm afraid I would just lash out like, you don't know anything and just, you know, rip them apart. Or I could have broke down and cried, you know, anger and and sadness can be so close sometimes that I wasn't quite sure which direction I'd go in with that. And so I just retreated. Better to not face it at all um, than to deal with it. How long did you keep it to yourself and not tell the world or your close friends? Two years. Two years. Two years. Yeah. Which is hard because my friends are like, Angie, we want to see you. Come see your kids. And I'm like, oh, this weekend isn't a good weekend. Or, oh, you know, I'd say like the kids are having a bad day. Um, And these are some of my closest friends. Um, And I was worried even when I'd have my siblings come over, even though my sister was a special education teacher, I was even still afraid to like let my close family members see it. I remember at one party when my son was probably two, um, it was at my mom's house and my uncle who has a special needs child said something to me like, Angie, can't you control your kid? And I just snapped at him. I was like, I expect you of all people to understand and blah, blah, blah. So I wasn't really happy with myself after how I had that first reaction that I was just kind of like, I need to, take myself away from that situation. But now looking back, maybe I needed that time to go through the different stages of grief, but now I'm ready to talk about it and be open about it. 
How much weight did you feel that you carried around by keeping it <laughs> so close? To so you? much. I was, you know, besides the denial, I was, you know, angry. So kind of leading into that next stage of grief, this was the hardest phase for me to work through because to me it manifested as jealousy and I hated what that did to me. Jealousy is my least favorite emotion. It's like right up there with hungry, if hungry is an emotion. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was jealous of everyone that had a neurotypical child. Like I would look at people's Facebook posts, their kids doing this or this, or they're being potty trained at 18 months and I would just cry because why can't I have that? I was, you know, so sad um, and jealous too. I mean, really the anger came into jealousy with that because I I shouldn't be jealous of people that have neurotypical children. And then there was a while that I was even jealous of people who had a special needs child but had other neurotypical children. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is not who I am. I didn't like that person. She was mean and crabby and depressed and just all at once. So it was a huge burden. It still flares up. I am a mom with mm-hmm. two medically complex special needs kids and I'm good with my kids. I love my kids. Yeah. I wouldn't trade them for the world. But right. I still look at other people and think, why didn't I get a typical kid? Why didn't I get any part of normal? And right. you know, I'm I don't know what stage of grief I'm in because I think I'm just like a hurricane and it depends on the day but <laughs> oh yeah I, I slide back into it and I just try to talk myself out of it as best I can and sometimes I just need that quiet space to process mm-hmm. it think it out and then I can reimmerse with my family I mean moms need timeouts too so mm-hmm. dad's all of us and timeout doesn't have to be a bad thing especially when my kids are sometimes in timeout they need it they need to help self-regulate themselves and so it's not always a bad thing Mm-hmm. But it's really nice to know that you kind of felt that too, because I felt I was like a really horrible person for feeling this. And I was like, yuck, I don't want to be this person anymore. I went through <laughs> and either blocked or unfriended everybody on Facebook who had babies around the same time as me, because it must have been some sort of 2016 baby boom. I don't know. But all of my friends had kids within a year or so of Lorelai being born. And I had to, for my own mental health, unfollow everybody who had babies within that time because I would see their typical pictures and I would see them even now, like having Benji helped me be okay. I think Benji was a huge part of my healing process, as weird as that sounds. Um, because I always wondered, like, would I have a typical kid? You know, like beyond Lorelai, will the next one be typical? And Surprise, he's not. But I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh at that. <laughs> he's not. He's far. Here we are. From me. <laughs> but yeah, and here we are doing a podcast. I had to do what I needed to do to protect my own heart. And I know that right now I feel okay about it because I think what I have is beautiful. But I also know when all of them graduate high school, when all of them have weddings when all Mm, of them, you know, like things like that, I know will always be hard and I will always have a little bit of jealousy and I will always, it'll always hurt, but it gets easier. I don't know. Yeah. And it's really, 
<laughs> this week I had a kind of a little setback. Um, my kids were in that preschool that I mentioned and my daughter Avery got an invite to a birthday party and we were like, whoa, really? Like that was so cool. And then 30 seconds later we get an email from the mom. Oh, sorry. We sent this to the wrong Avery. Mm-hmm. And it just, I know, and I shouldn't be like so sensitive about it, but I was so excited that oh, she got invited to a party, like some little boy out there or girl really connected with her and just thought like her infectious smile was fun or whatever. And then getting the mom's response of, Oh, sorry, wrong Avery. Um, I wish that mom would have taken the the lesson of, Oh, you know what? I'm going to bring this diversity and inclusion into my child's birthday party. But I mean, we were, we were fine with it. I'm like, they must not have meant to invite her. And then my husband's like, why didn't they invite Luke? They were in the same class. I'm like, it had to be a mistake. And then boom, that email came through of, oh, wrong Avery. So I'm already seeing that part of the the non-inclusion being there. Can we and- just stop? <laughs> and I know that a lot of our audience are special needs parents, but a lot of them are not. They want to throat punch and that mom right now. in this situation, <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah. in this situation, This is where you have the same expectation for yourself that you should have for your child or that you have for your child. This is a teachable moment. Do not be afraid of our children. Do not be afraid of who they are, their differences, their similarities. This is such a teachable moment. So can we just say, anybody that's listening that may not understand, Angel, what would you have... Say that mom said you know what? I'm really sorry. We want your daughter to come to this party. These are my concerns or these are my questions that I have. Would you have wanted that from her? And then what would you have told her? Like redirect the misconceptions that these parents may have of our children. Yeah. If she would have said that, you know, I would have loved nothing more than to be like, yes. Okay. So maybe they had that pony fair in their backyard. I'm like, okay, she would love that. You know, she may not express and verbalize the way other four-year-olds will, but I promise she'll smile in pictures. She'll eat cake, at least the frosting, and she'll have a great time just being around other kids. She may need just a little quiet time on her iPad. So she may bring her iPad. I'll be there. You know, I would plan on going myself just to help be her kind of PCA in that moment. Or, But I would have been just tickled pink because, you know, until recently, the only other kids they really saw were those individuals at daycare for like two or at preschool for like two hours a day, three times a week. And that's not a lot of socialization for a four or five-year-old to get. I would have been so happy to try that. Two years ago, no, I would have been terrified and I would have just declined it because I'm not ready for that. But now I would have been like, oh my gosh, this is my chance to show other families what it's like on autism, how they're different, but equal still. You know, that's the phrase everyone says. And I would have told her, you know, she may not always look you in the eye, but she's listening and she's having fun. Trust me. Like, it's just, she doesn't express it the same way that other neurotypical children would. I'm sorry, though. I feel like shame on that mom for many reasons. Even if it wasn't the wrong Avery, even if the special needs component isn't there, you invited somebody to your party. Whether they're typical or not, you invited them. You can't hurt any four-year-old. Like, what does that teach mm-hmm. her child as far as, uh, it just oh, right. makes me angry. It makes me angry. I know. 
for so many reasons. I remember going to school and my mom was like, no, you have to invite the whole class. You know, you have to do this. And so I'm very fortunate that I grew up um, understanding that inclusion, you know, and I think it helped just growing up that way. But I have to say that first sting didn't hurt as much as I thought it would, but there was definitely a little sting. And I think Mm -hmm. it, in talking with my husband, like we were both like, no, they surely, they didn't mean to invite us. Like that's the direction we went to is kind of that denial stage all over again. No, they they surely didn't mean to invite us. And then my husband, well, why didn't they invite Luke? Because they're like the same age practically. So, but yes, Uh. there was a teachable moment there that, you know, I'm by no means the ambassador of, of autism by any stretch of the imagination, but I would have loved the opportunity to introduce her Did into Avery more of the community. Know she was invited? No, I'd never told her. I wouldn't say that. To and isn't her. that crazy? Like how we take that hurt on. So oh, Sayla yeah. was invited to a um, birthday party last year and I took her. I was so uncomfortable because like my husband is just so relaxed with her. I don't, he just has this ability to just calm her down and just like nobody else is in the room where I sit more and think, oh my gosh, if she cries, like, I mean, she's with three and four-year-olds and I have a child that's crying and that can't move herself. And, you know, it was very interesting because there were definitely those set of parents that would come up and be like, do you need anything? Or they'd ask questions. And I very much appreciated that. And then there was those parents that kind of side-eyed you, like, I feel like I should help. I feel like I maybe should ask questions, but I don't really know what to ask. And Sayla happened to not be feeling well that day. And she cried the whole time and they were trying to include her playing, you know, pin the tail on the donkey. And I walked out of there and I was like sobbing because it was so much work. I was so appreciative that she was included. And yet here I sit like, this is not what I expected for my child's first birthday party. I realized that I will always take on that hurt so she can go and always feel included. Like I will take that on every single time, but don't disclude my child, please. Like don't ever disclude my child. No. And yeah, I totally get that. I will take on a million hurt and stabs and insults and uh, never let that go to my kids. And like I said earlier, they are listening just because they're not looking at you they know exactly what's going on. If my husband and I have a disagreement and our voices tend to raise, our kids are so reactive to it. Like they'll, my son will come in the room and be like, stop yelling. And I'm like, okay, we need to table this, Mm -hmm. you know, so they know what's going on. (laughs) We're going to take a quick timeout. And before you click fast forward, thinking that this is the same ad you've heard over and over and over again, let me just tell you, it's not. I have something new to tell you. We have the 4AM Mom Club. I know, I know, I told you it was something new, but it is. Hang on. We have something also called the When Autumn Comes Society. The 4AM Mom Club is still open and still available to support medical and special needs moms who are going through uh, life. But we have the When Autumn Comes Society. It is now on Facebook, and that is a place for moms, dads, friends, caregivers, uh, nurses, grandmas, I don't know, doctors, anybody, anybody. I'm not, I'm not, I'm taking anybody and everybody, guys, anybody and everybody, because we love you all and you guys love us. So join us on Facebook 
at the When Autumn Comes Society. I feel like we, you know, maybe over-exaggerated with the word society, but hey, we got class. Join us there. We talk about things that make us hopeful and hopefully just life. If you are a medical and special needs mom, though, we still have the 4 a.m. Mom Club for extra support with moms who get it. See you there. So for like friends and family listening that may just have not had an opportunity to meet your kids, what makes like, how do you know that they're so happy if they're, you know, or what makes them just light up? Um, well, let's see. My kids love food. <laughs> so when I give them their favorite food, um, they're really happy about that. Um, you know, my son loves building with blocks. So if there was ever, like we used to take him to like the Science Museum of Minnesota and they have those big blocks there. Like that was his jam. He was all over that. Um, my daughter, I imagine she would just light up if I, she got to meet a real live horse <laughs> in real life. So I've got to do that for her. Um but they're having fun even when they don't physically express it. And as someone who's been with them four and five years, I get it. But someone else may not understand it. They may say, you know, they're not always smiling, um, but they do smile often. But they may not just be in that moment. Like I would say, don't worry about if my kids are having fun or not. They will have fun in their own way. It's just the inclusion and the opportunity is all I'm really asking for. What about beyond fun? Like, how do they make your kids feel comfortable? My mom is probably the number one person who makes my kids feel comfortable. And so like my son loves McDonald's, like every four and five year old out there. Right. And so every day if she like picks them up or drops them off at their center or therapy, she gets some McDonald's every time. And my son just loves the chicken nuggets. My daughter like worships the fries. So it's just finding like what <laughs> they love. Don't forget a shake for mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I know. I'm like, my kids are going to be so obese, but they're actually not. <laughs> but part of autism is like the really picky food. So they have a limited diet and giving them what they want. They just light up and they're thrilled about that. You said they don't always make eye contact and they don't always smile. So as somebody meeting your children, should I try to make eye contact with them or should I not? Yeah, I definitely. They, they're they pretty good about initial greetings. Like when you say like, hi, Lucas or hi, Avery, they'll say hi. And then they may scurry off. Um, my son may ask you more questions like, hi. Like it was funny when my husband would have his friends over because he's not shy at all. He'll, <laughs> he brings everyone over. Um one of his first friends that like met our kids was named Joe. So my son thought every guy that came over was named Joe. So, <laughs> he's like, Oh, hi, you must be Joe. I'm like, no, no, that was a different guy. This one's Nick, you know? And sometimes, so it's funny. Like I get what they're thinking sometimes in their head. Um, and I've just, as their advocate become really good at explaining it to them because I have to out of necessity, but yeah, say hi, greet them. My daughter's really quiet. She might say hi, like, hi, and like walk away and just be more shy, which is fine. Little girls can be shy. Little boys can be shy, neurotypical or not. Like kids can mm-hmm. be shy. I would just say treat them like any other kid. Um, another good thing is to point out is on the spectrum, a lot of kids get really defensive or agitated when you ask a lot of questions, which I had no idea because like that's like a probing way to start discussion. Just human nature is to ask questions. 
autistic kids can sometimes feel stressed by asking questions. So stating facts is a great way to open up communication. Like my husband or my son will point at like a chair and be like, this is Avery's chair. And like, he wants to just state facts. And so when I communicate with him, I say, yep. And this is mommy's chair and this is where daddy sits. And instead of saying, well, where does mommy sit? Where does daddy sit? Like, yeah. Yeah. So when you ask too many questions, he gets overstimulated and he might like squeal in this horrible high pitched squeal (laughs) that we hear too often, but questions can be really anxious for them. Um, And my daughter doesn't know how to necessarily answer questions. I'm trying to teach her to say, like, when people ask you how old you are, say, I'm four. But that's a struggle. So she doesn't know how to answer questions. But statements, they're totally fine with. And so where do you go long term? It's hard now that you've kind of accepted where you are. You know, like you're you're in a phase of acceptance. But are you in a phase of acceptance for your future or are you still grieving the future? And where do you see your kids like, going? Or is it like, we didn't see ourselves being here, so we don't know where we're going. Right. So after I worked through and I finally get through acceptance, um, I wanted to focus on what I can control. They can't tell me at this age if they'll ever live alone. I actually had a therapist say, let's not make end or let's not make future plans for 20-year-old Luke right now. And I'm like, why not? I need to know. (laughs) I'm such a planner, you guys. (laughs) So I'm like, well, I need to know. And I think now that he's five, they can do like a WIPC intelligence test to see that. And I still have doubts about how accurate that'll be with a five-year-old, even a neurotypical five-year-old. I might've just been like, nope, I'm not going to answer this because I just don't want to. (laughs) But I'm taking control of what I can do. So I'm going back to school for myself so that I can provide the best life for my family. I'm making financial planning, like everything, every penny I save, I put into an account for just the children. Um, I try to be as aggressive as I can with just other financial options, my investment portfolio. Like I think none of this is for me, it's for my children. So everything I do is I think about their future um, and just do the best that I can. Will my kids live alone? Gosh, I really hope so. We kind of have more hopes for my son than maybe my daughter, but no one can tell us that. So as a warrior and a planner and a mother, I'm just going to make sure they have whatever I can give them as the best when I'm gone. Mm-hmm. It's such a different perspective because in theory, I will outlive my children. And I cannot imagine the stress and the worry of what will happen when I'm gone. We right now, Diane, you were saying in another interview, we white knuckle this and we are controlling this and we are protecting them. And I cannot imagine having your perspective where, I mean, but then other moms would look at me and be like, I can't imagine knowing that my kids were going to die very young. So it, you know, you get what you get and you, you sort out your own shit, but I also think like, I can't imagine the pain and the worry of what will happen to them when I'm gone. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you can't tell, I'm a pretty anxious person to start with. But adding that factor on it, I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm so afraid of them ending up in like a state run group home Mm -hmm. or something like that. And I'm sure there are great ones out Mm -hmm. there, right? But Facebook floods my newsfeed about you know, abuse happening to autistic children, even on a school bus, you know, everywhere that I can't be. So I, I worry about that. And my goal is for them to live in this home that we live in now 
switch to a 15-year mortgage just so that I can pay it off sooner and I can make sure that this property belongs to my children, that I can put it in a trust or whatever so it, they can live here and have home healthcare workers come here. I'm saving for that future endeavor and I'm nowhere near my goals, but still <laughs> I work towards it every day just to make sure that's all I can do, right? Like I think that's amazing. I have, that's, it's all you can do. It's amazing. I am looking to, you know, like, okay, me and my husband had this uncomfortable discussion the other day. Like, what if we both die in a, a plane crash or a car accident? Like, who's going to take our kids now? Like, if something happened, um, my mom doesn't even want us to fly together. She's like, you guys got to take separate flights. Like, everyone, I'm like, okay, great. Thanks. That makes it even more scary. But um, I, you know, it's how do you ask someone in your family to take on that, what they may see as a burden if you die? And I have a very close family, you know, I've got three siblings and I'm like, okay, who do I ask? What if they say no? Will I hate them forever? Probably. And it's hard but- <laughs> because it's both of your kids. We're having the same yes. conversations and we have to have trusts made up because of Medicaid and like the whole nine. It's insane. But mm-hmm. I, I do see it as a burden on another family. And I know that's not as really nice. But I no, see but my kids true as sometimes. a burden. Yeah. They are baggage. They are a lot emotionally, physically, day to day. Like it is a lot. And I look at like we just had this conversation and we have our list of families who have said that they would and they prayed about it and they talked about it. And the one family who's second on the list, I said, you know, you have two kids. This would ruin their lives. And she's like, it wouldn't ruin them. It would just make it different. And if that's God's plan, that's God's plan. But I feel the same. Like, it's so much and it's so heavy. But I will say just, and this just came to me as we discussed this, because I have these same feelings as you guys. Like, who can I ask to take three of my children? I mean, they are raising their own kids. This is too much. And then to throw Selah in there with all the medical needs and stuff. And I thought to myself, not one of us raised our hands to be a part of this. No. Right. And would we, given a different situation, if we had neurotypical or non-medical children in a freaking heartbeat, I would say yes. And yeah, so like how much, family. Yeah. yeah. Like how much do we hold ourselves back with the, that thought? Yes. Not that it can go away, but not that we can easily be like, oh, great. Okay. Well, here she is. (laughs) Take her and we'll see you later. But like, we probably put a lot of that stress on ourselves. Oh, yeah. If anything happened to any of my siblings, I mean, even now with my non-neurotypical children, I would want them to come to me and say, Angie, you know, would you take my children on? I would feel so honored and just you know, like, okay, they trust me, you know, mm-hmm. I would feel that acceptance and I would, I would be thrilled, but I don't know that everyone in my family may think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I'll get a bunch of phone calls after this. But <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have like, how like, could you say that? <laughs> every person is going to be like, Angie, can you take my kids? You're going to have like a whole <laughs> laundry list. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm the youngest in the family. So a lot of my family still sees me as the baby. So they probably don't think of me ever dying or anything, you know, happening to me where like that. But um, yeah, I've got, you know, the sibling in mind. Um, 
like I talked about it with my mom and my husband and even my mom weighed and she's like, yeah, definitely ask them. They'll be the best. <laughs> that, would, that would be for sure. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. well, the cool thing about this podcast is that having a conversation like this with other people may not ever, like the three of us can sit here and we all get it. We all know where right. we're coming from. And I, I, the point of all of this is for the listeners who are listening and are all of a sudden like, I get it. Like, I know that's how I feel. And this is why we're doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. So every day I get hope, you know, like when I saw your podcast and you guys were just so upbeat and positive, I like immediately messaged Diane and I was like, oh my gosh, I loved your podcast. Would you ever consider having me on? Like asking just to be here. I'm like, you guys were just so cool and natural and nothing about having a special needs child had really been that cool, natural flow for me. It's been so hard that I was like, I want to get in on that energy and I want to tap into this community of other people that are in, you know, similar situations to me. Um, so well, yeah, here you are and welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank and speaking you. and speaking of hope, Angela, what gives you hope? When I see my kids make the milestones, um, or even inch stones, right? My son this last week at five stood up and peed for the first time. And I was speechless, like, like couldn't catch my breath. And my husband's like, see, look, he's doing it. And to him, it was just, oh yeah, another day. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I was so <laughs> pumped. Um, when my daughter said three words together, I was just like, you can have all of the fruit snacks. You know, it was like fruit snacks, please. Or mom fruit snacks. And I was like opening like three bags of them at a time. Like, just take them. Yes. Keep doing this. Um, when they do, you know, just small things that everyone's like, you know, that should just be natural. And my kids do those milestones. I'm just pumped. You know, when they, when they were able to go overnight and not have an accident in bed, like the same time I potty trained him, I was like, Oh my God, you guys are brilliant. You know, like I didn't, I didn't think they were listening or absorbing what I was saying, but they totally are. So as I pass through each phase and and reach acceptance and sometimes I slide back, but I know I can get there again. That gives me hope when I see them making progress because two years ago that Angie would never be on a podcast talking about her struggles. She would never imagine her kids being out of diapers. She would never imagine that they're able to do and that my son can talk and really now never stops talking. It's mom, look at me, look at me, watch me, you know, seeing them shine and make these milestones and at their new, you know, new schools that they're going to making friends like that. I hold on to that. And that's just really what makes me happy and makes my heart shine. That's awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah. And I would give just one last piece to any other mom that gets a special needs diagnosis or as you first get any diagnosis, what it is, you're going to have everyone come out to you and say, God doesn't give you more than what you can take or this will make you stronger. And when you hear that, it's absolute garbage. Like, you're like, no way. I'm not, I'm not ready to take this on. I'm not strong enough. I don't want to be stronger. I would say it is true, but you can't see it right now. So be patient with yourself. Be patient with your children. Be patient with the therapist or the school that may drive you nuts. And be patient with your spouse if you have one, because someday you will see it that way. And for me, it took two to three years to see it. So Just know that people are trying to support you. They may not say the right things all the time, but just practice patience. And 
I promise you'll get there. You know, I really have to say how much I enjoyed talking with Angela today. It was refreshing, super insightful, honest. Um, she was just very eloquent about her journey, and I just really appreciate, you know, hearing her story. And how flippin' far she has come in this journey. We all face stages of grief in so many different ways, and I give her so much credit for just being so open about it now. It took her a long time to get here, but we are very proud of you, Angela. We know that this is going to resonate. So this is Susan, and I need to get back to being a mom and not a podcaster because my nurse is actually on vacation in Alaska right now. So jealous. This is Diane, and I am going to make a grocery list. Bye, y'all. We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mob Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.